0: greetings and welcome to another episode of from john to justin if you like you can support the podcast for as little as three dollars a month just go to patreon.com slash canada ehx you can also donate to the podcast directly any amount by going to canada and clicking donate don't forget i have several other podcasts out there canadian history x coast to coast canada's great war and pucks and cups they're available on all podcast platforms I do all of these podcasts full-time. The writing, the research, the editing, everything. So, every dollar you give will keep it all going, and I truly do appreciate it. I'll make sure I thank you on the air and throughout my social media. If you like, you can email me at craig at CanadaEHX.com. You can find me on Twitter. My handle is Craig Baird, C-R-A-I-G-B-A-I-R-D. And I'm on Instagram and TikTok at bairdo 37 where I put up daily videos. You can also find me on YouTube, where I put up weekly videos about Canada's history just go to youtube.com slash c slash canadianhistoryx. And if you want to find hundreds of articles on Canada's history, as well as the transcripts of every single episode, just go to canadaehx.com. And lastly, right now on Twitter, I'm running through a contest to find the greatest Canadian. I've made a list of 256 Canadians from pre-colonial times to today, and we're going to try and find who is the greatest Canadian of them all. I put up four randomly chosen names every single day, and the two with the highest votes go on to the next round. So make sure you go to my Twitter, Craig Baird, C-R-A-I-G-B-A-I-R-D. From 2003 to 2011, the federal NDP were led by Jack Layton, who took them to their greatest height in 2011 when they became the official opposition. After Leighton died, the party had to find someone to lead them through to the next election, and hopefully beyond. That role would fall on Thomas Mulcair, the man who helped take the party from one seat, his own, in Quebec in 2007, to 59 in 2011. The story of Mulcair begins at the Ottawa Hospital on October 24, 1954, when he was born to Jean and Harry Mulcair, one of ten children. Like Leighton and other politicians who came before There was a political heritage to the Mulcair family. His great-great-grandfather on his mother's side was a Quebec premier, and his great-great-great-grandfather had also served as the premier of the province, the first, in fact. And while he was born in Ottawa, Mulcair would be raised in Hull, Quebec, now part of Gatineau, and just north of Montreal, where he attended Laval Catholic High School. As a teenager, Mulcair had made the decision that he would go into politics. After graduating high school, Mulcair decided to attend law school, He would borrow money from his sister to buy textbooks and he would pay his way through law school by working construction jobs and graveling roofs. His efforts were rewarded in 1977 when he graduated from McGill University. Thomas Mulcair would first appear in the newspaper on February 19, 1972, when he sent a letter to the Montreal Star to voice his opposition for the U.S. government proposal to have defense costs paid partly by other nations. He would write, quote, In recognition of the fact that the American defense of the free world is nothing more than a farcical myth, which the U.S. uses to rationalize reliance on its economy on war, Canada should take a stand against any further spending and prove herself a leader. It was at McGill that he would also start to show his first steps towards a political career. In 1976, the same year he married his wife Catherine, who became a psychologist, Mulcair was elected president of the McGill Law Students Association, while also sitting on the McGill Student Union. In 1978, he moved to Quebec City, and the next year he was called to the Bar of Quebec. In 1983, Mulcair became the director of Alliance Quebec, and he would play a role in amending the Charter of the French Language, which was opposed by Quebec separatists.
1: Last June, five Montreal merchants went to court to keep their bilingual signs. Justice Pierre Boudreau of Quebec Superior Court said he'd decide the case in October. Until then, the government said it would hold off prosecutions for bilingual signs. The very next day, Westmount merchant Moore Zimmelston had a visitor. And last week, he received a letter from La Commission de Protection de la langue Française. The letter uh, was sent in with a photo of uh, the store sign and the offensive words we buy and sell circled, stating that we have to remove the sign. If we do not remove the sign, we'll be prosecuted. This I find very offensive. I have no objection in putting up uh, a French sign, my name in French. I have no objection of doing uh, that at all. But I think I have the right to put up a sign bilingual to letting all my clients know what we do. Zimmelstern's store was not the only one on Victoria Avenue to get a letter. This one did, and this one, and so did this one. Across town on Park Avenue, leathercraft merchant Ron Bridgman had a visit as well. His hand-sewn patent leather sign was what attracted the Language Protection Commission.
2: Well, he just came in and uh... He was checking out my sign, he didn't like the English uh, writing on it, so to speak. And uh, from there he uh, took some pictures and gave me low down
1: on what's going uh, what's to happen from there. Bridgman, fellow merchants on Park Avenue and those back in Westman are all threatened with prosecution. This makes the Anglo rights group Alliance Quebec angry.
2: There was a clear undertaking at the time of the trial not to continue the prosecutions of any of the cases that were then uh, pending. Uh, this T- attempt to threaten prosecution to other people with fully bilingual signs is in our estimation a violation of at least the spirit of that undertaking.
1: Most of the merchants we spoke to say they plan to do nothing about the government in order to change the signs. They've taken their case to Alliance Quebec and they say they'll just wait until the court decision comes down in October. Antonia Zurbisius, CBC News, Montreal.
0: He would also translate Manitoba statutes into French during a time when he lived in the province for two years. In 1985, he started his own private law practice and started teaching law courses to non-law students at Concordia University. And before Mulcair would get to the House of Commons, he would first take a trip to the Quebec National Assembly. He chose the Liberal Party as it was the only Federalist party with any credibility at the time in the province for him. Mulcair, upon gaining the nomination of the Quebec Liberal Party to run in his writing, was called a prestige candidate and was presented by Premier Daniel Johnson himself in a news conference. Several Liberal Party MPs would send letters into the local newspaper, angry over the fact that the nomination meeting was bypassed. In 1994, Mulcair would win his riding as a member of the Quebec Liberal Party, and while Mulcair won his seat, his party lost the election. Mulcair would say on election night, quote, We've lost the election, it seems, but we did a lot better than Laguerre, and Laguerre or any of those other pollsters said we would. I will continue representing you, and I will continue fighting to keep Quebec a part of Canada. End quote. During the 1995 referendum, Mulcair was a vocal opponent to the separation of Quebec from Canada, and he would demand an inquiry over allegations of the rejection of thousands of ballots for the no-side. In his own writing, 5,450 votes were rejected. Mulcair would state that the yes-side had orchestrated and manipulated electoral fraud. He would state that in his writing, a dozen no-side workers were ordered to reject ballots for several reasons, including the X being too dark or too light. Mulcair would state, quote, I have no hesitation in saying that this was orchestrated, manipulated electoral fraud. It's obvious there was a pattern of abuse. The issue of alleged referendum voter fraud would continue for several years, with Mulcair at the front of it. In 1998, he would state that the electoral law should be amended to remove the word fraudulent, which had caused issues in the courts over whether or not the electoral officer had failed to prove that two deputy returning officers had an intent to commit voter fraud. In 1998, Mulcair would run again and would take his riding. In his second provincial election, he took a larger percentage of the votes, 69%, to cruise to another victory. In 2003, after Jean Charet became the new Premier of Quebec, he appointed Mulcair the Minister of Sustainable Development, Environment, and Parks. As a minister, Mulcair supported the Kyoto Protocol, and he would draft an amendment to the Quebec Charter of Human Rights and Freedoms to include the right to live in a healthy environment. This would pass in 2006. In early 2006, Mulcair would oppose a condominium development in a ski resort in a national park. On February 27, 2006, Chouret removed Mulcair from his portfolio and gave him the Lesser Government Services Portfolio. On February 27, 2006, Chouret removed Mulcair from his portfolio and gave him the Lesser Government Services Portfolio. It was widely believed this was punishment for his opposition to the condo development. Chouret would tell the media, quote, Mr. Mulcair preferred to leave the cabinet. I want to thank him for his services he provided at the same time as deploring his decision." Initially, Mulcair gave no comment on what happened. It would be over a week before Mulcair would make a statement stating he was deeply disappointed and surprised. Mulcair would say in a statement, Over the last three years, environmental laws and regulations have been applied in the same manner to everyone, regardless of the size of the industry, regardless of the agricultural production, regardless of the influence of the city. Unfortunately, since August 2005, a certain number of specified files where we applied this rule caused internal friction, One year later, on February 20th, 2007, Mulcair announced he would not run in the 2007 provincial election. He stated his intention not to run in a one-paragraph news release sent while he and his wife were in France. As soon as he left the provincial Liberal Party, he began having discussions with the Federal NDP, the Liberals, and the Conservative Parties. He would also consider going back to practicing law. Talks with the Conservative Party did not last long due to the party's opposition to Kyoto. Mulcair would also not choose the Liberals, and in March 2007, he was seen in the front row during a speech by Jack Layton. Many speculated he would go with the NDP as he was seen with Layton and spoken with him only two weeks after choosing not to run in the next election. Layton would state that Mulcair was an old family friend and an expert when it came to the environment. Layton would state, quote, always open to talented individuals like Mr. Mulcair, End quote. Mulcair, for his part, would state he still had not decided if he was staying in politics. One month later, Mulcair announced he would run for the NDP in the next election. Mulcair would not have to wait for the next election, though. On June 21st, 2007, he would state he was going to run in a by-election. Mulcair would say, quote, The timing is good, support for the NDP is getting stronger and stronger, and our polls show we'll be in a four-person race, End quote. He would win the September 17, 2007 by-election, taking 47% of the vote. After his win, he became the Quebec lieutenant for Layton and the only NDP member of Parliament from Quebec. Other than from 1988 to 1993, the riding had been won by the Liberals in every election since 1935. Upon his election, Mulcair became only the second NDP MP to be elected from Quebec. He was preceded by Phil Edmondson in 1990. Mulcair would state, Tonight the voters opted for change. I am honoured to be the person who will be going to Ottawa to speak on their behalf for peace, for the environment, and to be a voice for future generations as well as working for today's families for their needs. Sworn into Parliament on October 12, 2007, he became the co-deputy leader of the NDP, and he would help Leighton improve the translation of the Francophone party materials for use in Quebec. On October 14, 2008, Mulcair was re-elected in the federal election in his riding by only 400 votes. This made him the first new Democrat to win a riding in Quebec during a federal election and not a by-election. Mulcair would say, quote, It's a humbling experience to be given again the chance to serve. I'm thrilled to continue to be a voice here, but also in Quebec for the NDP, a voice for peace, a voice for sustainable development, a voice for the families of today, and a voice for change, Mulcair once again would win his riding in 2011 as the orange wave surged through Quebec and the party took 59 seats. After the death of Leighton on August 22, 2011, Mulcair would state that he was hit hard by the loss of his friend. He would state, quote, we are all so much in a state of shock. The only grief we are thinking about is the deep grief we all feel. Jack is a friend. I just lost my good friend. For the moment, that's all I'm concerned about. Everything else can wait for another day, Eventually, Mulcair would decide to run for the leadership of the party. He would announce his decision on October 13, 2011 in Montreal. Soon after he announced he would run for leadership, 60 of 101 NDP MPs put their support behind him. Despite this, though, there were concerns over whether or not he would be chosen by the party to lead it. While he was well-known in Quebec, in the West he was mostly unknown. The only time he had spent in the West were two years when he worked as a lawyer in Manitoba during the 1980s. Mulcair would state, quote, "'I'm very determined and I'm very experienced. I am passionate. People like that in a politician.' They like someone who is willing to fight for them, and that's all that I can propose to do, end quote. Mulcair would campaign for leadership on the promise of reinventing the party, increasing its presence in Quebec, and attracting more voters from other parts of the country. In all, there were eight candidates vying for leadership of the party who came together for the March 24, 2012 Leadership Convention. And by the time the convention came along, Mulcair was the front runner for the leadership of the party. On the first ballot, Mulcair would take 30% of the vote. Four candidates soon dropped out and endorsed Mulcair. On the second ballot, Mulcair had 38% of the vote, which increased to 43% on the third ballot. Mulcair would win the leadership of the party on the fourth ballot with 57% of the vote. With his win, he became the leader of the official opposition. Mulcair would say in his victory speech, As Jack Layton said, our greatest accomplishment wasn't winning seats in Parliament. It was giving people a reason to believe that you can vote for change. As we unite our party to take on a government that is dismantling the very institutions that we hold dear, we will do so without excluding or demonizing those who disagree with us. We will unite progressives. We will unite our country, and together we will work together for a more just and better world. On April 18, 2012, Mulcair and his wife moved into the official residence of the leader of the official opposition. Things did not start off well for Mulcair who had to deal with some defections from the party in his first year as leader. Bruce Heyer became an independent after he was disciplined for voting in favor of dissolving the Canadian Firearms Registry, and Claude Partree would join the Bloc Québécois after he disagreed with the NDP's position on amending the Clarity Act. That being said, within Quebec, there were some polls that showed the NDP were poised to win more seats than the 59 seats they had won in 2011. When Justin Trudeau was chosen as the new leader of the Liberal Party in April 2013, the NDP would begin to see its support fall, eventually reaching third place in public opinion. When Olivia Chow left the party to run for mayor of Toronto, her seat was lost to the Liberals in June 2014. And while the party faltered at times, many did praise Mulcair for his abilities as the opposition to the Conservatives. He was known for his long speeches and quick wit within those speeches. One example of this was when he spoke of economic uncertainty, stating, quote, the Conservatives are saddling future generations with the biggest environmental, economic, and social debt in our history. They are gutting the manufacturing sector and destabilizing the balanced economy that we have built up since the Second World War. End quote.
2: Why did the Prime Minister claim that he had never given right any instructions regarding the
3: Duffy scandal? Good to go seems like a pretty clear instruction. I knew nothing of this particular matter. Unlike him who signed all of the papers that took the money inappropriately and fraudulently out of the House of Commons for which he will have to answer. If the Prime Minister is called to testify in the Mike Duffy trial, will he appear or will he hide? I would invite him to have the RCMP look at his files on the $400,000 personally
2: has been convicted of cheating in every single election he has won what safeguards has he put in place to try to ensure that his team doesn't cheat this time
3: around 2.7 million dollars taken out of the house of commons by the ndp not for any parliamentary purpose for the use of its own party offices across the country. This is exactly the kind of thing that happened in the sponsorship scandal. The Prime Minister is using Bill C-51 to attack our
2: rights and freedoms while offering no proof that this law will actually protect Canadians.
3: What do you expect from a leader who thinks Osama bin Laden is still alive and there's no such thing as a terrorist attack in Canada?
2: 400,000 good-paying manufacturing jobs have been lost while this Prime Minister did absolutely nothing
3: shouldn't expect the leader of the NDP to know his facts, because yesterday, of course, he was out there saying, businesses need to pay higher taxes. Will the Prime Minister admit that his plan isn't working, or at the very least, will he please stop visiting assembly lines? here!
4: hear! Yeah. At least
3: the leader of the Liberal Party knows when to stop getting up.
4: Yeah.
0: That's
2: the kind of arrogance that could mean that this is the Prime Minister's last question period, so I hope he doesn't mind, we've got a couple more.
3: I remind the leader of the NDP, it will be Canadians, not him, who decides the result of the next election. Canadians have already decided and they want change. The kind of change Canadians are seeking is change that means more prosperity, lower taxes, greater trade. That's the kind of change they're looking for. They're not looking for the high-tax, protectionist, anti-prosperity agenda of the NDP.
0: As the next election approached in 2015, the NDP began to rise in the polls, eventually getting into a dead heat with the Liberals and the Conservatives. The party also had success in getting two bills through to the House of Commons. The first removed taxes on feminine hygiene products, and the second banned pay-to-pay fees charged by banks. The second one would eventually be blocked by the Conservatives. Mulcair would state, quote, In this year's election, we'll offer a choice between change or more of the same, Child care for young families or more tax breaks for the wealthiest few. Accessible education and training or more student debt and record youth unemployment. Income security for our seniors and veterans or more conservative scandals and mismanagement. End quote. Heading into the election, Mulcair was the oldest and most educated leader, but he was the one the Canadians knew the least compared about to Harper and Trudeau. The writ of the election was dropped on August 4th, and for the next 11 weeks, the longest election period in Canadian history, Canada would go through an election. Several issues would dominate the campaign, but the issue over the Naka became one that would heavily influence the election. Prime Minister Stephen Harper had insisted on a ban on the garment at citizenship ceremonies, which the federal government of Canada found was unlawful, as did the federal court of appeal. The Conservatives attacked the party Quebecois over it, but by 2015 had appeared to adopt the same stance of banning public servants from wearing it. The Liberals, NDP, and Greens would be against the Conservatives on the matter, while the Bloc would support the Conservatives. Initial polls showed that most Canadians supported the ban at citizenship ceremonies. Thomas Mulcair would attack Harper over the issue during the election, stating, quote, Mr. Harper, there are more anti-choice men in your cabinet than women who wear the niqab in Quebec. Mr. Harper, you are playing a dangerous game of the kind I've never seen in my life, and I never thought I'd see a Prime Minister play it. End quote. Due to his stance, Mulcair would see the NDP support in Quebec nosedive in the second half of the campaign. Mulcair would also prove to be unpopular with NDP supporters, with only 42% of which stating they would actually want to have a beer or coffee with him.
3: Well, two debates and more than a month of campaigning. Why do you think you haven't been able to pull ahead of the pack in this election?
2: Well, we're running the best campaign and we've got the best reaction across Canada the NDP's ever had. But I think that what we're seeing here in New Brunswick is what we're seeing across Canada. People want change. But in the past, they were told, well, you want change? You're tired of the sponsorship scandal and liberals, then you can change for the Conservatives. And when you get tired of the Conservatives and the Senate scandal, you can go, hold on. This time, for the first time in Canadian history, there's a real choice. It's the NDP. We've got an incredible team. We've got a clear plan to replace Stephen Harper, start fixing the damage that he's caused. Mr. Harper's plan has failed, 400,000 manufacturing jobs lost, 300,000 more unemployed than when his first recession hit in 08. That's not a plan. That's a total failure. The NDP has a clear plan to grow the economy, create jobs, help families. That's what's on the table.
3: Why isn't that getting through to voters? You're still in a tie with the other two parties.
2: It's getting through to voters like never before. And here in Atlantic Canada, we had a wonderful poll last week, and now I've learned. Uh, in my uh, decades in in politics, that you can't put a poll in a ballot box, but I'm encouraged by it, because it's showing that that strong desire for change is a desire for real change, not going back to the habits of the past and saying, well, we've got to rotate between the liberals and the conservatives. People are looking at the NDP as never before. Catherine and I have been traveling the country from coast to coast. We sense this strong desire for change, but we've also had people coming up to us across the country and saying, this is the first time I'm voting NDP. So we sense that people are looking at us like they never have before and they, re- they really are willing to give the NDP a chance to govern. I'm very proud of that.
0: In the October 19, 2015 election, the Liberals and Justin Trudeau reclaimed the leadership of the country with a huge increase of seats. The party picked up 148 seats, the largest ever numerical increase by a party in a Canadian election. The NDP would lose 51 seats, ending the hopes of another orange wave. The party would finish with 44 seats to become the third party in the House of Commons. Mulcair would state, quote, From the very outset, this election has been about change. Tonight, Canadians have turned a page and rejected the politics of fear and division, end quote. After the election, criticism was levied on Mulcair over his decision to run a moderate platform. In April 2006, the NDP convention was held, and Mulcair was criticized by delegates from Alberta over his support of the Leap Manifesto, which was seen as opposing the oil industry. In the convention, 52% of delegates voted for a leadership review within two years.
4: We begin tonight with the NDP convention in Edmonton. New Democrats voted 52% in favor of a leadership review. That means Tom Mulcair doesn't have the support to stay at the helm of the party. So what is the future of the NDP and its leader? For that, we go to Mike LeCouture in Edmonton. Mike? Robin, the NDP came into this convention looking for a new vision. And now they leave Edmonton looking for a new leader. 52% de ont en d'un it was announced an in French only. 52% of delegates want a leadership race. Tom Mulcair is out as leader. The room was in shock as New Democrats let the decision sink in.
0: I was
1: totally surprised. I, I was shocked, actually. I, I was suspecting
2: that there would be a lot more support for him than there was.
3: But yeah, it leaves us in a bad spot. Uh, not a real bad spot. We, we've been down that road before. You know, we lost Jack.
4: After a few minutes, a dejected Mulcair emerged, stating the obvious. But it's also clear that we are
2: deeply
4: We hope to leave this weekend united, but this vote clearly shows we're deeply divided, Mulcair told the room. Many of the 1,800 delegates came to Edmonton hoping Mulcair's speech would convince them to give him another chance. Just before he started, he acknowledged the magnitude of the moment. No pressure. The 31-minute speech sounded like many he had delivered during the election campaign and lacked the desperation of a man fighting for his political life, left delegates feeling uninspired and failed to sway those calling for his ouster.
2: He is great in the house, but he's bad in the household. He doesn't play well at the doorstep.
4: MPs who had stood behind Mulcair were shocked but resolved to move forward.
3: It's saddened. There's there's no doubt. Uh, There there were tears. Um, But we are very proud of what is a fundamentally democratic party. There was
4: some good news for the NDP. Delegates voted in favour of taking a serious look at the Leap Manifesto. It's a controversial document which calls for a halt to the construction of all new pipelines. So, while new Democrats are looking for a new leader, it seems they at least have a vision for the way forward. Robin all right thanks for that Mike
0: Mulcair would remain as leader until a replacement was found on October 1st 2017 Jagmeet Singh succeeded him as leader of the party on December 18th 2017 Mulcair resigned from the House of Commons effective June 2018 in the summer of 2018 Mulcair would join the political science department as a visiting professor at the Université de Montreal and Mulcair would also serve as a political analyst on television and radio something that continues to this day. I hope you enjoyed that episode and my look at Thomas Mulcair. Next week, we're looking at Rona Ambrose. If you like, you can email me at craig at CanadaEHX.com. You can find me on Twitter. My handle is Craig Baird, C-R-A-I-G-B-A-I-R-D, and I'm on Instagram at Bairdo37. As well, again, if you want to support the podcast, you can for as little as $3 a month. Just go to patreon.com slash CanadaEHX. And you can donate to the podcast by going to CanadaEHX.com and clicking Donate. I'd also like to thank all of my wonderful patrons, and I apologize if I get any names incorrect. Michael Matthews, Joanna Parker, Jeff Dahl, Vobs, Robert Page, Richard D., Colin Johnson, Katie Caldwell, Jeff Hershey, Kyle Murray, Steve Pakin, Matthew Gartho, Lionel Romaine, Dr. Bob Turner, an anonymous patron that I truly do appreciate, Randy Hayden, Doug Campbell, Reg W., Deborah Carlson, Francis Helbling, Nick Zinri, Shannon Marshall, Clinton Martinez, Dimitri Shove, Aaron O'Hara Myers, Robert Dunseeth, Todd Casey, Catherine Rowa, Luke S., J.P. Bear, Jason Hall, Phil Maynard, and Iris Gray. Information from Montreal Star, the Montreal Gazette, Maclean's National Post, Wikipedia, Ottawa Citizen, North Bay Nugget, Sue Star, and the the Calgary Herald. Thanks. We'll see you again next time.